0: The, the first discussions about forming a Masonic Lodge in the University District of Seattle, which is uh, where our lodge is still located, those discussions began in the summer of 1904. And a group of our charter members, a small group a small group uh, of, of Masons who were members uh, of St. John's, and uh, mostly of St. John's, but of some of the other lodges in Seattle, met in the real estate office of one of the Brethren of the Lodge, uh, Worshipful Brother Fred Rude, uh, who was a real estate, uh, real estate agent and developer uh, principally in uh, what was then known as University Station just west of the University of Washington. And one of the, one of the first newspaper announcements that we were able to find uh, was actually from uh, August 31st, 1904. When it was announced that a group of masons in the university district uh, wanted to create uh, a new lodge and uh, receive a dispensation and ultimately uh, our, uh, we received our dispensation uh, in um, <clears throat> excuse me late 1904 <clears throat> excuse me and then we received our charter uh, in june 1905 and what was really fascinating is, is that um, at the time, well, up until fairly recently, uh, the Grand Lodge of Washington also uh, was in charge not only of uh, had dominion over uh, Masonic lodges in Washington state, but also in Alaska. Uh, so you know, they had charge of lodges in Alaska. And at the same meeting of the Grand Lodge in June of 1905, uh, the numbering of our lodge and Anvil Lodge in Nome, Alaska, was actually confused. Uh, Our Grand Secretary at the time was was really ill and uh, ultimately died later in 1905. Excuse me. Um, And so there was a little bit of confusion over our numbering. And so we were in the University Lodge was initially number 140, and then Anvil Lodge was 141. But ultimately those numbers were flipped, so that Anvil ended up being 140 and we ended up being 141. And of course, when uh, uh, you know when the uh, Alaska created their Grand Lodge, uh, I believe it was in the late 1990s or the early 2000s, uh, it, all the lodges were renumbered uh, in the order that they were chartered up there. And so, initially for the the first few years that our lodge met, we met in a rented hall on the second floor of a space known as Sherricks Hall. (coughs) Excuse me. And Sherricks Hall was located uh, at the southwest corner of Uh, what is now Northeast 42nd Street and University Way in the University District. A few blocks south of where we currently uh, have our lodge. And uh, we met there uh, until, you know, just all the various uh, organizations. Sherricks Hall was was one of the only uh, large meeting spaces in University Station. And so, you know, the lodge... You know, had to had to share with a lot of other organizations uh, in that meeting space, and so, you know, very quickly discussion discussions began about the possibility of constructing um, an actual lodge building to house University Lodge Number One Forty One, and so those discussions continued. You know, from uh, from you know the early days, like nineteen oh seven, into nineteen oh eight, and then. In, uh, in October of 1908, the Brethren actually acquired a property uh, in, universe, in the University Station University District and uh, located at the southeast corner of Northeast 45th Street and uh, University Way. And that was that was where uh, that was selected as the site for, uh, for our new building. And uh, the uh, the plans. It, the newspaper announcement said that the plans had not been announced yet at that time. And there was actually like relatively little, uh, you know, really covered in the newspapers, uh, you know, at all. Um, you know, Seattle Times, Seattle Post-Intelligencer, as far as I can tell, you know, I've not been able to locate any mention. The actual construction of the building until after it was long completed, and uh, my my thinking, you know, for for why this was the case is uh, due to the, the nineteen oh nine Alaska Yukon Pacific Exposition, which took place on what is now the grounds in the University of Washington, and that World's Fair took place, and there was a uh, a building called the Masonic Building at the Alaska Yukon Pacific Exposition. And our building was also called the Masonic Building. And so I believe that our Masonic Building got completely overshadowed by the much more prominent uh, but temporary (laughs) Masonic Building that was built at the 1909 AYPE. And so it, it really it was an initial stumbling block to the research to just kind of hit this wall and realize you know when i was looking at the newspapers that they were talking about a building that was not our building it was another building entirely and so that that ultimately i split off that as a whole separate project because it just turned into a yeah. rabbit hole uh, that that needed further exploration so the Masonic Building at the 1909 Alaska-Yukon Pacific Exposition got split off into its own research effort while I continued to concentrate on the research efforts on our building. And so ultimately, uh, I discovered through building permit records that uh, uh, a Norwegian, Norwegian immigrant uh, by the name of John Schultz Designed and constructed our building uh, that we use to this day. And it's a load bearing brick masonry building uh, with a wood frame structure uh, on the interior. And uh, Schultz was uh, what would best be described. In today's terminology, as a structural engineer, um, he uh, had received his education in uh, in Norway and immigrated to the United States in 1890. You know, worked in a, a variety of roles, uh, including uh, for a period of time for the American Bridge Company, which you know constructed massive, uh, you know, steel bridges. Uh, for railroads and highways in the early 20th century. And he ended up moving to the West Coast by the early 1900s, and settled first in San Francisco. And, and following the San Francisco earthquake of April 1906, he was instrumental in the rebuilding of San Francisco, uh, you, know, you know, creating you know, fireproof and uh, uh, earthquake resistant buildings. Uh, You know, tall buildings, very large buildings. And he ended up uh, coming to Seattle in 1907, uh, where he first worked for the City of Seattle Building Department uh, as uh, the Assistant Superintendent of Buildings. And uh, what was really interesting is, and I've I've recently done some additional research into the building department, but the building department, uh, when When Schultz joined the building department as assistant superintendent of buildings, the building department was headed by an architect by the name of uh, William Grant, uh, who was actually uh, a Mason. Um, And, uh, you know, very prominent Mason, uh, charter member of the Nile Shrine, you know, very, very active in uh, Seattle Masonic circles and later actually designed a Masonic temple uh, in Shoreline. Uh, in the early 1920s. But, so Schultz ended up working in the same department as Grant. What's really interesting is, is that uh, I have uncovered no uh, indication that Schultz was a Mason. Um, I've been in contact with one of his descendants who lives in in Southern California, uh, who, when she, uh, when I contacted her through Ancestry, she was completely over the moon uh, because uh, nobody in the fa- in their family had known anything about their ancestors' activities in Seattle and all the buildings that he worked on here and also in San Francisco, um, but he, as far as I can tell, he was not a mason, uh, and there's really no indication, there's no uh, evidence or proof uh, as to how he came to be associated with the University Lodge Number One Forty One. And uh, how how he ended up creating their building, and so it just kind of seems like a matter of expediency. Uh, you know, they needed a building constructed, and he was a very competent designer. Um, I, I can make all sorts of speculation about how that happened, but unfortunately, I can't prove any of it. Um, I think we all know how the how the Masonic telegraph works, uh, and, and how we communicate amongst ourselves. So, you know, it's highly likely, you know, that. Someone talked to someone, talked to someone, and he ended up doing the building. But uh, it was constructed very rapidly. It was constructed you know, for a, a, a very reasonable amount of money, uh, which uh, is certainly not the case when it comes to construction these days. And uh, let's see if I can find that number. <clears throat> I think it was something like $18,000 or something like that. It was it Very, very small number. Um, Oh, $12,000. It was constructed for $12,000. It was the building permit valuation, which equates to $328,000 in today's money. Um, Unfortunately, uh, the city of Seattle building department operations at that time, they discarded all the building plans after a year. And uh, only retained a, a small handful of the building plans of some of the more prominent buildings in Seattle, and so unfortunately we don't have a copy of the original plans. Um, but uh, the building the building was complete in time uh, for uh, the first meeting to take place in the building on October 18th, 1909. And what's really interesting is is that uh, I I'm still trying to discover if our building was actually ever formally dedicated. Um, it appears that it may not have actually ever been formally dedicated. And it also does not have a cornerstone, uh, which cornerstones are usually uh, a, very, uh, a very important part of Masonic buildings. Uh, in many cases, uh, when possible, they, the cornerstone is placed in the same position on the building. Uh, you know, from building to building. <clears throat> so it's really kind of interesting, uh, you know, the the building was finished and just put into use almost immediately uh, with no discussion. Uh, the, the first newspaper reference you know, to the building actually being used and open, uh, you know, the first reference that I came across in the newspaper was actually uh, about Another fraternal organization uh, using the building, uh, you know, because the Order of the Eastern Star used it, uh, and also uh, the uh, what is now a very politically incorrect uh, fraternal order. Uh, I think it was the Order of Red Men, um, you know, which uh, uh, also met in the building uh, initially. But uh, we were very fortunate, you know, uh, to have. Excuse me. We were very fortunate to have that early photograph of the building, you know, that shows what the building looked like, uh, you know, not long after it was finished. Uh, and so that that photo was just uh, really it provided a wealth of information about, you know, some of the other some of the other things you know, that went on with the building. Uh, the University Station Branch Post Office was located on the ground floor of our building uh from 1909 until 1914 you know, and so that u.s government lease you know the the power of that lease helped us finance the original construction of the building um, and you know so there was retail spaces and a post office on the ground floor and then uh, on the second floor uh, uh, doctors and dentists uh, ended up having some offices up uh, to kind of help defray the, the ongoing operating costs of the building. Um, and so, you know, it really started out as just trying to find out who the architect and builder of the building was, and they were one and the same. It was this John Schultz gentleman. Uh, and ultimately, he ended up leaving Seattle not long after our building was finished uh, and had a very long career in Southern California uh, in Long Beach and uh, in the Venice area around Los Angeles. And uh, ultimately uh, they ended up, the, the family changed their name in 1918 because it sounded too German. And so uh, you know, there was a lot of anti-German sentiment related to World War One. And uh, he died in the early 1930s. Um, but uh, it's, it, it's a complete mystery uh, as to how he, Aim to be the architect and builder of our lodge. Um, especially when it's like compared against all the other research that I've been doing on other Masonic buildings in Seattle. And then, you know, that they, they were designed by, you know, architects who were also masons. Um, you know, probably the most prominent example is the, is the, the main, the original main Masonic temple uh, that was located You know, at Harvard and Pine, uh, in what is now the Capitol Hill neighborhood, and that was designed by the architects uh, Saunders and Lawton. And uh, the competition for that building, that was held in, uh, I believe, it was 1910 or 1911. That competition was only open to Masonic architects, Um, and so you know, I believe it was something like 12 or 13 architects and architecture firms competed against each other for that. So. You know, in, in kind of summary, I mean, the building, our building kind of ended up being just, even though it has ended up being extremely significant, as what I believe, what my research indicates, is the second oldest purpose-built Masonic Lodge building in Seattle. Um, you know, there, there's uh, there's other older ones in King County, you know, where Seattle is located, but you know, within the city limits of Seattle, we have the second oldest uh, Masonic Lodge building. And it just really got kind of lost in the shuffle is probably the best way to describe it. You know, there was just so much going on in Seattle at the time period and so much uh, going on in you know Freemasonry in general that it just kind of uh, that early history just got lost by the wayside. So it really ended up being just a reclamation of, of that history, uh, rediscovery and reclamation of that history. Um, but uh, it ended up being, I think, much more fascinating than anybody initially believed.